You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I wish you didn't sing that hymn, Andy. I was already nervous about getting through this without breaking down in tears a little bit. That song will never not be anointed. I think it's worth sharing a little history of that hymn as it ties in a little bit for what I want to talk about. It was written by Horatio Spafford in the late 1800s. It is a hymn born out of pain and suffering. He lost his business and his son in the Chicago fire, devastated his income. He got some work in England. He sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him to sail to England, and their ship sank. (laughs) His wife survived alone. His daughters were killed. And on the boat ride over to England, he wrote the lines, when sorrow like sea billows rule, it is well with my soul. I don't know if I've got that faith to be able to see the joy in that kind of suffering, but I want to. He's an inspiration. That song is an inspiration. Um, When Robin invited me to speak, I'm going to speak, then I will lead us in communion, so hopefully you have your elements. If not, at some point you can grab those from the hall. Uh, When Robin invited me to speak, he gave me a lot of freedom, but he talked about wanting to focus this year just as a church on discipleship, following Jesus. And that led me to this idea of burdens, sharing each other's burdens. I think we sometimes forget what a disciple is, what a Christian is. We say the word so often, we lose their meaning. You know, Christian, you all know, right? means little Christ. And a disciple is more than a student or a follower It's like a replicant. His disciples weren't just listeners of the word. They were replicants of Christ. They then went on and planted the church. And they are replicating themselves over the generations to us as disciples, as Christians, as little Christs. We are replicants of Christ. We're not God. We're not Jesus. We're Christ. Marinate on that for a little bit. What does that look like, though? How can we do that on a daily basis? And as I thought and prayed and just listened to the voice in my heart, I really felt like the Lord led me to this idea of burdens. And I want to make the case that the life of the Christian, the life of the disciple, is one of burden bearing. And Andy teed this up beautifully over his last two messages. In fact, last week, right here, he began with that verse, bearing each other's burdens, right? Because there's sorrow and pain in our midst. Donna's mourning the loss of her sister. Our brother, Blake Edwards, lost his brother three days ago to cancer that he's been fighting for a long time. There's burdens among us, and the life of the disciple is to bear those burdens. Um, I was actually nervous when he started speaking that he was going to preach this whole message, but he didn't. So I'm, but I'm, it gave me a lot of confidence that the Lord has something to share for us. So Lord, use me today. Anoint my words. Um, what do you think of when you think of burdens? 
Maybe you think of the things that weigh you down. Problems. Stress. Financial burden. Relational burden. Cultural burden. Physical affliction. Maybe you're carrying a burden that isn't yours to carry. Or maybe you're convicted that you are to carry the burden that's being offered to you. That's available to you. And when I mention the word burden in scripture, what pieces of scripture come to mind? There's a few obvious ones. There's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. The words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hmm. And I think of Horatius Spafford saying, it is well with my soul in the face of such burden and sorrow. He found, he, he, he's, he's responding to this call of taking on the burden of Christ. That is light and easy. Galatians 6.2 is the other one. We already mentioned it. Bear one another's burdens and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens. It's pretty cut and dry, at least according to Paul. And that's a figurative law, of course. It's, it's the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Christ's call to love. Christ's law of love. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. So think about that in the context of discipleship. Following Christ. To fulfill the law of Christ. To be a disciple is to bear one another's burdens. Empathy. That's a good word for it, empathy. He's, Jesus isn't saying you're not to carry burdens or that you won't have burdens, but that his burden is light and it will bring rest to your soul. Which is confusing to me because four chapters later, he says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And everyone knew that that was a very heavy burden, right? We've seen the images of Christ carrying his own cross to his death. These were massive, heavy beams of wood. And maybe Christ, Paul is tying this all together in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. And thus we have a paradox, <laughs> which is the norm in the life of Christ taking up our heavy cross, follow me, my burden is light, bear each other's burdens, fulfill my law. It's a paradox to me. It's, conf- it's not confusing, it's, it's mysterious. But it's only a paradox if we see through a dualistic lens. And there's a dualism in our culture that really seeks to remove all nuance from life and divide culture into two halves. This side, that side. Whatever side, let's divide it into two. Our news media thrives on it. A binary, dualistic lens. The way of Christ is the way of non-dualism. It's the way of all sides, the messy middle, 
It's the way of bearing a heavy burden that's also light. That brings rest to my soul. That is taking your burden and making it mine. It's a paradox. The way of Christ is a paradox. Paradox tends to exist in twos. And the way of the Trinity (laughs) blows up dualism. It blows up the way of two. Christ's nature is non-dual. The Godhead, the Trinity. And it requires us to embrace mystery. Again, Andy spoke on this beautifully. Spoiler alert, I'm going to actually reference Andy a few times. (laughs) When Andy talked about the mystery of God, a God who doesn't prevent trouble, doesn't cause trouble, doesn't prevent trouble, trouble that is random. And what was it you said that you couldn't say from the pulpit? I forget, the, the closer I get to God, the less I understand him. What a beautiful confession of wisdom. When I hear people talk about their understanding of God, not becoming more confusing, but becoming more mysterious, the older they get, I think there is someone growing into wisdom. And I believe it's a great area for us in this charismatic church, this modern movement that we're a part of, that is sort of unformed in some of its definitions, but we're certainly a part of this this church that beautifully embraces the move of the spirit, the spontaneity of the spirit, but yet sometimes really tries to desperately define and dogmatize that which is a mystery, that which is to be a mystery. Don't reduce mystery to rational clarity. Why? Simple. Our brains are not built to do that. They are not built to handle it. We, we can't even comprehend the vastness of space and time, which is part of our material world. Why do we think we can rationalize the mystery of God? Don't reduce mystery to rational clarity. Literalism is the lowest form of meaning. Literalism is the lowest form of meaning. I can prove it because there's what a thing is and then what it means. I can show you the symbol of a piece of wood and a piece of wood. What is it? It's a cross. What is a cross? It's two pieces of wood. That's what it is. That's literalism. What does it mean? We have built a life on what that symbol means. And there's a lot of mystery in there. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot of suffering. So don't reduce mystery to clarity. And don't get caught up in the literalism of what something means. Because the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. Thomas Merton said that the function of faith is not to reduce mystery to clarity. It's actually the opposite. And Richard Rohr is a spirit-filled Catholic priest. He's in his 80s. He's written numerous books, so I'm sure there's plenty to have a problem with, to be confused about, as any good prolific writer should. But there's something he wrote years ago that I read recently, and he wrote it in the 90s. It speaks to me every single day. 
when he said the question of God is resolved once we agree to bear the mystery of God. The question of God is resolved once we agree to bear the mystery of God. What a beautiful distillation of the faith. Choosing to bear the mystery of God. It's a choice. It's an agreement. It's a mystery. And it's a burden. It's something to bear. The way of Christ. The way of the burden. The way of empathy. What is empathy? I think too often we confuse it with sympathy. Sympathy is an emotion. Empathy is an action. Sympathy feels bad that you're crying. Empathy cries with you. Sympathy is limited to my own experience relative to yours. Right? Your, make, your pain makes me feel bad because it reminds me of a similar pain that I might have had. Empathy takes your pain and makes it mine. It demands us to share an experience of suffering. It demands we bear a burden. The last year has been a year of significant burden for uh, all of us. <laughs> my family did not escape it. COVID, financial loss, my work in film took a massive hit. Projects were destroyed. Income was erased. Dreams were shattered. <laughs> And I took some heartbreaking hits. And if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, I'm scared that some things won't come around for me. I'm, I'm scared I missed something. That's a fear. It's not, I'm not claiming that. And I don't ultimately put my faith in that. But that's, that's a fear, right? And then, of course, if you followed our family for any sort of time, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in October. And... That has been a journey, a burden to bear. Um, October 2nd, Friday. I wasn't with her because we actually really didn't think they were going to find anything. She called me. And it was the only time in my life I've actually been speechless. You hear those, (laughs) you hear people say, I'm speechless. I've had friends say they've lost a loved one. Someone died suddenly and I had words. I said, oh no, we cried. But when she said, it's breast cancer. (laughs) I couldn't speak. Thanks, Andy, for that song, because now I'm already in the... (laughs) But here's what empathy has looked like for us. When her hair is falling out and she has to shave it, a friend says, I want to shave my hair with you. When I have bills that I can't pay that are more than what I made two years ago, as my income, I have friends writing us checks, thousands of dollars worth of checks. These people are in this room. That is empathy. Can you see the power of empathy? How it's affecting me to have my burdens born, shared.
These people were Christ to us. All of you. And I mean the people who sign up for the meal train. Guys, that is a way to bear burdens. It's simple. It's easy. It's real. Every person who gave us food, it meant the world. Someone who gave us a $50 check, it meant the world. I felt like the church is bearing our burdens with us. These people were Christ to us. They were Christ to us. They were bearing our burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ. Psalm 56 says, God, you keep count of all my lost sleep. Amanda came through chemo. Great. She is getting her strength. She wanted to be here. She was feeling it out, just fatigues easily, but she's feeling good. She's dealing with a lot of hot flashes. Chemo puts her in a premenopause, and there's a lot of lost sleep. It's a pretty awful thing for all the women who can identify with hot flashes. My heart goes out to you. Because she's up a lot most of the night. She starts radiation next week, and that'll be a six-week journey. And this is early-stage cancer. There's no fear of survival. We know she'll get through it. But Psalm 56 says, God, you keep count of all my lost sleep, and you keep all my tears in your bottle. What an image. All the tears I shed, you keep them in a bottle. You record them in your book. It doesn't say you keep me from weeping. But rather, you know my weeping. And you've put a body around me to weep with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer with them. If one member is honored, all rejoice with them. This is in the middle of the famous chapter on spiritual gifts. Right? That we love to quote. Everyone gets a superpower. But Paul makes a point to emphasize that the one... One of the purposes of the body, the body ideal, is that the weak, the marginalized, even the dishonored are included and looked at as strong, centered, and honored. Because their burdens are ours. Their joys are ours. Paul writes a similar passage in Romans 12. And in verse 15, reiterates the call to empathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. These are verses we have all heard. We all know. Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison. Those who are being tortured as though you are being tortured. That one challenges me. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison. Do we think of our incarcerated brothers and sisters as members of our body and live with them as if they, we were incarcerated with them? Do we ignore them? Do we support laws that put more of them in there and make it harder for rehabilitation and release? Do we strip a judge's ability to have a sense of nuance, to have compassion to a woman convicted of drug possession where he's forced to give her a mandatory minimum sentence. Sorry, I'm not trying to be political. I am not a political person. You can look at my social media. (laughs) I largely abstain. I'm a conscientious objector in the culture wars. But there's something about being a disciple when you look through the lens of burden bearing where everything gets really simple. Where is there a burden? How can I bear that burden too? We don't get to define what a burden is. 
but we get to decide what burdens we will bear. My life's work has been, and my passion has been in film. And the simplest answer for why I'm a filmmaker is because I love it. And I don't have to overthink it much more beyond that. But I also find a great sense of mission and purpose that I am fulfilling the law of Christ because film, story, but film in particular, presents a beautiful, unique opportunity to create empathy. In fact, Roger Ebert, the great film critic, called films an empathy machine. He had a great speech where he said, films are a machine that generates empathy. They're not just catalysts for story, for metaphor, right? Metaphor, which, if you're listening, is higher than literalism, at least in my opinion. The literalism of the cross, the what it means. Story tells us what something means. There's a great quote, I don't know who said it, where it said, if you want to know what happened, ask the journalist. If you want to know how it felt, ask the dramatist. And I was like, yeah, I'm a dramatist, I'm a poet, I'm a filmmaker. I'm less interested in telling you what happened more than how it felt, what it means. Films generate empathy. It's why I'm, I am a champion of representation in the arts, right? This very current woke movement of trying to get more types of people from more types of diversity opportunities to make their art. Because everyone can make art, but not everyone has access to share that art with a wider audience. Because unless we're going to go live amongst people we don't know or invite them to live with us, it's really hard to create empathy for them, to understand their burdens. And film, a story, is a beautiful, simple way to see the burdens of others, to create empathy in your heart, to form empathy in our heart. It's not about us trying to do something we don't want to do, maybe go serve the poor. That starts with a place of empathy. Something has been formed within me. Their burden has become mine. Now I want to go serve them. I I don't have a call necessarily to all of the different types of burdens that might be at my disposal, that might be available to me. What are the ones that those burdens are becoming mine? They're forming that place in my heart. Film, the art, story can do this. I'm white. I don't know if you knew that. I'm a white person. And I have non-white friends. I even have non-white family. And to the extent that my life experience intersects with people who are not like me, and not just race, but in all sorts of culture, identities, religion, political, all all the isms that one can have and intersect, to the extent that my life intersects with that, I can form empathy. But as a privileged white man in America, that has an enormous limit. But I will say this year, gosh, more than any other year, I have watched films that have formed a new place of empathy in my heart that I would not have had. And I am grateful because that is the way of Christ being formed in me. Go be a disciple, watch movies. (laughs) What are some of the films? 
The Assistant, a great film from this past year. It's a small, independent film. It's about a, a film assistant working in a film office, and she has to basically witness the abuses of the executive in charge. It's a day in the life of what this girl has to go through. And it's an R-rated indie Hollywood film. And I, that film ended, and I got on my knees. It moved me to prayer. I watched this film and my heart broke and I immediately moved me into a posture of prayer. And I said, God, let me be a light in this industry. Of of an industry that is so full of burdens and suffering and sin and ugliness, ugly people, horrific actions. God, let me be a light. A movie, this movie moved me to that place of prayer. Minari is a great film from this past year about a Korean family coming to Arkansas in the 80s and trying to build a farm. Sound of Metal, about a heavy metal drummer losing his hearing and and trying to escape the inevitable of losing his hearing and trying to put all his money and his efforts into getting hearing again. He's a recovering addict, so... He goes to this community for addicts who are also deaf. I mean, what a specific (laughs) burden of people that this film, Sound of Metal, showed me. And it's not, the, the, the filmmaker's not a Christian, but here's one of the lines from the movie where the counselor is talking to the guy who's losing his hearing. He says, I wonder if you've ever found stillness. Have you ever found stillness? Because one of his activities is writing, stream of conscious, getting all his thoughts out. And when he's written and he can write to a place of stillness to just be. And he says, I wonder if you've ever gotten there, that place of stillness. And he says this line in a movie, which is up for best picture, all these Oscar nominations. He says, because that place of stillness, that is the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful film. One Night in Miami, Trial of Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. These are films that have formed places of empathy within me because I've been shown burdens that I hadn't seen before. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Bottom, it was a film of a play by August Wilson. He also did Fences, great film a few years ago with Denzel Washington. August Wilson shows me an insight into the burden of black Americans like I have never seen. Every time I watch a play or see a film from him, empathy is formed in me. Go watch Fences. Go watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And do it with a heart toward empathy. Ask yourself, what are the burdens being shown to me? And then because you're a disciple of Christ, ask, how can I bear this burden to? In, there's a, an amazing writer who happens to be a Christian. She's not known for Christian writing. It's, she's fiction. Flannery O'Connor. You've probably heard of her. She wrote mostly fiction. She, she has a book, book of collected essays. And she wrote one essay for Christian writers. She was asked to write, you know, write for other artists, people who want to write, who want to pursue fiction writing from a Christian perspective or people who just are Christians. And she made one of the most profound statements on the problem of sentimentality, <laughs> which largely permeates film that we in the church, tend to make sometimes. 
She says, the life of a Christian is a slow participation in the suffering of the cross. And sentimentality shortcuts this participation. Skip the pain, skip the burden, go right to the happiness. Because pain is only a burden in the context of time. Our life on earth, the life of a disciple, is a slow participation in the suffering of Christ. It's slow. It's, it, the perversion of this idea, right, is self-flagellation. Inviting pain, beating my sa- myself. The healthy response is to bear each other's burdens. Don't say, oh, take that burden to Christ. Be Christ to them and say, bring that burden to me. And it's slow. It's supposed to be slow. It's roughly the length of our lifetime. (laughs) Cancer right now for us is harder in some ways than the initial whammy of the news. Because it's slow. We had the shortest dose of chemo you can get. Four sessions, three weeks apart. She's in there for like four hours. That's the, that's like the smallest dose of chemo. And three weeks apart, that's 12 weeks. The side effects get worse and they get better. You do it all over again and now she's healed. The next week she starts radiation. Six weeks. Then wait two months. Get a CAT scan. Make sure everything's clear. Then take the port out heal from that. It's slow. The monotony is harder emotionally than the initial news. But if it was quick, it would not be suffering. It wouldn't form the virtues of Christ in us and it wouldn't allow the rest of us to bear burdens with us. It's slow for us and it's slow for you, those who have borne that burden with us. Empathy cannot exist in quick bursts. It's a slow participation. Andy again said it last week. Our life is one of embracing suffering, not in joyless pain. Suffering full of joy. Rest for your soul. The burden of Christ is easy, is light, because it's full of joy. Not because it's less painful or quicker. It is well with my soul. That was probably a very slow boat ride to his wife. (laughs) One of the greatest pieces of literary art is the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. This one actually wasn't designed to create empathy, but rather reveal how the enemy tries to prevent it in us, among other things. It's about... It's sat, some call it satire, but man, this is truth to me. It's a, a, a senior demon training a junior demon in the ways of mankind, how to tempt them. He's, he's assigned to a patient. And uh, there's a profound statement on burdens, on sharing burdens, on directing our love and our hate towards people, towards groups. And I'll read it real quickly. This is a demon training a younger demon in the ways of the world. So it's, you've, you know, it's satire. You've got to subvert the, the perspective here. And when the demons refer to the enemy, they're referring to God. Do what you will. There is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient soul. The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbor 
who he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence to the remote circumference to people he does not even know. The malice then becomes very real, and the benevolence largely imaginary. He talks later about, because this is in the context of World War II, this was written, where a lot of people in England and the world were hating Germans, hating a people group. And he said, whatever you do, don't let your soldier share a cigarette with a prisoner, a German prisoner of war. Don't actually let him share a drink. Don't actually let him have a conversation. Keep his hate directed at the people group, as long as he's looking at that person as part of the people group. And the inverse, put their love towards the people group. Let them hate the person and love the imaginary group. Because what happens when we start to see the person next to us as someone with a burden? Whatever you do, this demon would say, don't under any circumstances let empathy form in his heart. Because that is when the group, the ism, turns into a human, turns into humanity. Dualism turns into something non-dualistic. That's when a listener of Christ becomes a disciple. So how do we bear the burdens of those around us? How do we do it with those beyond us, those we don't understand, our enemies? And here's the magic trick. Here's the empowerment. Here's the beautiful truth. As disciples... We are replicas of Christ. As Christians, we are little Christs. Christ bears our burdens. We bear the burdens of others. We are Christ to them. I said that before. We're not God. We're not even Jesus, who is the man, Jesus Christ. We can be Christ to those around us. That is a gift. What a gift, what a privilege. Find the burdens around us. And don't tell, don't, don't point those burdens to Jesus. Be Christ for those people, for those burdens. So homework. As you read the news, because it's sort of inevitable, unfortunately. Try reading a news article. And they make it really hard to do this. Try reading a news article and empathizing with each person mentioned. Every subject of the news story, try to say, what is their burden? It's hard because these news articles, they thrive on dualism. The mob mentality, right, of this side and that side. In every story, there's a victim and a villain. It's that binary. It's that dualistic. But the way of Christ resists that dualism and seeks to bear the burdens of everyone. Every cry, every fear, every issue, every problem begins with a burden. And burdens that go without bearers become something very ugly. They become a mob. They become an extremist. They become all of the ugly things. Gosh, when Andy talked about the slave song spirituals of slaves in America, what a burden they endured. And slavery, 
is a sin perhaps so vile that defined nearly the first 300 years of our nation? Could it be that that burden is so massive that it's still being borne out today in, in a lot of ways? If you think slavery was solved in the Civil War, you're wrong. There are burdens today available directly related, directly descending from that, that are available to us to bear. Ask yourself, what is their burden? How might I bear it? And if not them, the, next, the person next to you, your spouse, your brother, your sister, the neighbor you can't stand, the coworker, the boss, the person that hurt you, the person that really hurt you, the person on the other side of the political issue, the lawmaker, the lawbreaker, the rioter, the protester, the cop, the victim, the villain, the president, the former president, your child, your husband, yourself. Where can a burden be found? How might I bear it? What a gift, what a privilege to bear the burdens. And you can see that it's not hard. The people around us, I talked about my own experience, our own experience with cancer and how those burdens went bared, born, bearing. And what it meant to me. I couldn't get through it without crying. And I still think about it. It brings me to tears. Because my suffering, the burdens, they're not going to be erased, but they can be shared. So as we take communion this morning, be formed, be moved by the example of Christ who took the form of a man in Jesus. God took the form of a man in Jesus in order to suffer, to die, to be buried. He bore our burdens. He took our shame. He touched the lepers. He hugged the prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. And as we prepare, I'll say a few words, a few prayers, but just for a minute right now, let us just respond to the move of God. Let us quiet our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts. And say, don't grovel in your burdens and your suffering. Maybe just for today, for this week, say, where are the burdens that I can help bear? And if it's signing up for meal train, do it. If it's shaving your head in solidarity, do it. If it's adopting a child, if it's traveling far away, if it is just hugging with someone as they cry, Lord, give us those times today. Let's just take a minute in quiet reflection. Almighty God, unto you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and magnify your name through Christ our Lord. And Lord, we confess that we have sinned and thought word and deed, and we've done it by our fault and our own fault. We don't grovel in that guilt, we don't hide in that shame. And if our burden is heavy, Lord, show us 
that the way of Christ is in a burden that is light, that brings rest to our soul. And through our prayer of confession, we repent, and through the miracle of forgiveness, we are free. What a mystery. What a gift. Free from sin. Free from shame. Free to be Christ to others. Our sins are forgiven. Our stains are washed. Thank you, Lord. Whatever we've done, whatever we've left left undone, his mercies are new every morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for that forgiveness. This water is poured into this cup, the chalice of salvation, recalling the water which flowed from the side of the Son of God. May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity, and our humanity is being joined to his deity. Never to be separated. What a mystery. Our humanity is being joined to his deity. His deity is being joined to our humanity. Never to be separated. Go ahead and get your bread. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me. Likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance for me. Behold the Lamb of God who bore the burdens of the world. Happy are those who are called to his banqueting table. Lord, we are not worthy to receive you. But if you say the word, we shall be healed. And he has said the word. The word is come, receive, be healed, be free. And all of you who are weary and carrying a heavy burden, I will give you rest. Your church will give you rest, your brothers and sisters. I think he was teaching his disciples that and he's leading by example. Come to me, I will give you rest for your soul. So when you face burdens this week and you feel the tug of the Lord, say, bring your burden to me. So I can bear it with you. Amen. Go this week in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of Christ to be Christ, to bear the burdens. And to share your burdens. If you've got a burden, this is a generous church that loves to bear burdens. I can attest. Just this morning, as I walked in, someone said, we want to bless you. And keep giving you more money. And it is, a, it is a blessing. So if you have burdens, speak up. Share them. We want to bear them with you. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.